Well, hello there. This is Jennifer Morozik-Sakalo, and I am here with Brad Zalis, and we are here for Awakened Nation. A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up, tired of the way things used to be. They are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zalis, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers the disruptors and the game changers, everyday people just like you and me from all over who are doing amazing things. Jennifer, hey, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I am, I, honestly, I'm delighted to be here. I have to give a shout out and a big thank you to my friend, Denise Griffiths, who uh, put us together. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She was extraordinary and uh you did a show with her as well. Am I right? I did. I did. And she invited me back, which she said she doesn't always do. So I felt very honored and then even more honored after the fact when she introduced me to people such as yourself. So again, huge, huge shout out to Denise. Thank you, Denise, your partner in Success Radio. Yeah, she's great. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to buckle up, take some notes uh, if you're feeling down and depressed, or even if you're a winner, just, you know, crushing it every day, but you're not getting ahead for some reason. Uh, you've written an extraordinary book, Jennifer, and I want my audience to really get to know this because I kind of, you know why this resonated with me? I'll be honest with you. Um, Please, I'm all uh, ears. <laughs> growing up as a kid, I was deathly shy mm. and then uh, broke out of it. My stepfather was brilliant at breaking me out of it. But through my, probably my whole life, I suffered from some low self-esteem and um, probably did the opposite to make it seem like I didn't have low self-esteem. So I've done all these achievements really to get my father's attention. And sometimes we can live in that pattern and not realize it's it's just that, it's a pattern. So I I am about to read your bio, but I am honored to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much. And you, you know, what's interesting, Brad, is you're not alone. There are so no. many people that have memories and history and things that keep them from truly unleashing their potential. And that was, that was really one of the reasons why I wrote this book, Claim Your Swagger, because I wanted to help people be able to break out of those things. I wanted them to take control of their own lives, become the leader of their lives and really step into who they were really meant to be. Awesome. My guest today is Jennifer Morozik. Sokalo is dedicated to empowering individuals to unleash their brilliance, embrace their confidence and embark on a journey of prosperity. Her contributions have been featured in reputable publications such as Live Strong, Prevention Magazine, Fast Company, and more. Jennifer is a globally sought-after authority in leadership and personal development with over 12 years of consulting experience, catering to high-achieving individuals in multinational Fortune 500 companies. Her impact extends to nearly, listen to this, 50,000 leaders across diverse cultures, countries, and industries. And the reason I have her on the show today is she's written an extraordinary book called Claim Your Swagger. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Oh, Brad, thank you so much. You're welcome. So let's get started. Let's start at the beginning. And you you were so honest about this in the book. Um, you were a cheerleader. 
You know, you were getting good grades. You were awesome. You were crushing it. But you were a little quiet and you went out into the world, got married. And let's go through all of that. So I, I had been an achiever my whole life. And uh, that part of that, I mean, I resonated with what you said, Brad, about your childhood and my parents didn't demand it, but they knew what we were capable of. So we had high expectations set on us as we were, when we were kids and expected to do our best. And so I did, I was also a middle child, which I think you have to stand out as the middle child. So you (laughs) kind of have to do more or better than anybody that's come before you or who's going to come after you. You have to stand out in your own way. And so I was an achiever. I excelled at just about everything I did and through high school, college, everything. And then I got married at a very young age. So I think I was probably what, 23, maybe when I got married. And I wondered what my parents had. And my parents are still married today, over 50 some odd years, still in love with each other. And I wanted what they had, but that wasn't what I got in my first relationship, my marriage. And so by the time the ink had dried on the papers, the marriage, the divorce actually lasted longer than the marriage itself. (laughs) It was a bit of a roller coaster ride, wondering waking up every day going, is this going to be a good day today or a bad day today? I know exactly what it feels like to have an eviction notice on the door when you come home from work. And it's not something I recommend, by the way, it's a horrific feeling and not knowing why it was there. So it, I was working three jobs. I was almost homeless. Thank goodness. And I'm so grateful that I have amazing family and my aunt took me in, but I literally was at an extremely low point in my life. And I I had to, I remember my dad telling me, you're not the same person anymore. I remember I was going through therapy at the time. I was, the company I worked with offered therapy during difficult times in your life. And the therapist at one point said to me, I haven't figured out a reason to hate you yet. So why do you? Whoa. Yeah. That was a big wake up call, a huge wake up call. And I had to make a choice. I had to decide, is this the person I wanted to be? It wasn't, I didn't really recognize that person that I saw in the mirror anymore. Mm. Not that same person that was the achiever that had done all these things and accomplished all of these wonderful things that I had done in my life. I was a shell of my former self. And I said, no, but that's, that's not me. And that's not who I want to be. And so I had to make a choice at that point to say, this is not my life. I want to create and figure out what I want my life to look like. And it was one step, one day at a time to kind of figure it out, reacquaint myself with who I was and determine who I wanted to be. Mm. And that is the hardest work of all, I believe. Well, it is. And, and to, I mean, I, I have to say too, that one of the things in writing this book that was, I'm a super private person. That super private? People, Wait super, a minute. <laughs> yes. I, I'm a super private person. I really don't, I don't share a lot about myself. And having to do that and and knowing the importance of doing that in this book so that I could resonate with people, so that people could connect with me on a human level, 
was by far one of the hardest things I've ever done. Would you say you're an introvert by oh, nature? I'm, I'm, com I'm completely an introvert. Most people don't think this about me, by the way. They <laughs> see me because they see my energy and my passion when I talk about these things and they say, there's no way you're an introvert. Right. But I define an introvert by where I get my energy. And my energy comes from the inside, not from the outside of being around people, being surrounded by people. So that's what I mean by I'm an introvert. So yes, I love doing this and I love sharing my message and I love being in front of people and engaging with people. And then I have to go back and recharge my batteries. So for all the introverts who listen to my show, how in the heck did you do that? <laughs> how did I do what? Learn how to do that? or well, learn we, we had psychologists on Michael Alsey and he... <laughs> He is an extreme introvert who had to give a TED talk and I, uh -huh. I coached him and, and he was just like, I'm an introvert. I can't do that. You know, and, but he came out of his shell to do the TED talk. So I need to know how you did this, you know, because um, it goes against type. It goes against yes. your comfort level. Yes. It goes against everything. And I'm the complete opposite, by the way. Um <laughs> You know, it's a, I, I never mind. Go. <laughs> so a couple of things, and I, I talk about this and claim your swagger. One of the key things when you really start to understand more about yourself, and actually, I listened to one of your podcasts with with Stephen Covey, the one you did recently oh, with him yes. mm -hmm. on uh, trust and inspire, and he talked a lot about self-awareness and that's exactly what this is all about. It's helping you, giving you step-by-step -step directions and activities and guidance on uncovering and discovering and creating some self-awareness. So one of the things that we cover in Claim Your Swagger is about knowing your strengths and limitations. The more you understand what your strengths are, the better able you are to tap into them. And I use this example of me being an introvert, and yet I was a global leadership consultant in front of audiences, delivering programs all over the world, and from aspiring leaders all the way to the C-suite, how does somebody who's an introvert do that by tapping into my strengths, by knowing what I'm really good at and using them in a way that helps me be successful. And the other part is purpose. So when your purpose drives you, it can far exceed and overcome any of the fears that are holding you back. And because me doing this me having this conversation, me putting myself out there, writing about all these incredibly personal stories of my own life in the book, all is helping me live my purpose. And it far exceeds the fear or overcoming my kind of hesitancy because of being so private and being an introvert. I love that. That's the warrior spirit in you that uh, said, you know, I got to I got to step up to the plate here. Uh, and folks, if you pick up a copy of Claim Your Swagger, um, she is brutally honest about her path. Um, when you were talking about working three jobs and hitting rock bottom and your aunt taking you in, I was just like, oh, OK, yeah, been there. Understand that. And I think we live in a culture now where it's um, fashionable to pretend 
people nowadays suffer from imposter syndrome. Right. And I kind of question, well, how could you suffer from imposter syndrome if you're doing the work that you know you can do right. and it's work that you have actually um, have some experience doing? The only way you could feel imposter syndrome is if you really aren't looking deeper into yourself as far as that. Is it, am I true in that or am I talking crazy? No, I, I think you're spot on. And I, I think what's interesting, though, is there's there's a lot involved in creating imposter syndrome, yeah. where it comes from. And in we talk about, I talk about a lot of different things in Claim Your Swagger, one of them being about self-worth and how we see ourselves. It's one of the, the first core chapters in the SWAGGER acronym, which, by the way, SWAGGER is not just a word. It is an acronym. Yes. Which stands for self-worth, appreciation for your strengths and limitations, gratitude for how your life experiences have shaped who you are, grounded in your core values, empowered to overcome self-limiting beliefs, and renewed through a greater focus on your passion and purpose. And so two key factors in imposter syndrome are around self-worth and our relationship to self and how we see ourselves right now and self-limiting beliefs. They mm. both play a huge role in formulating or how strong our imposter syndrome might be. But yeah. one of the things I would love to share with your listeners is Please. you, if you do suffer from imposter syndrome, you are in such good company because there are so many people out there that are suffering from the exact same thing, including yours truly. I have it all the time. I have to overcome it on a regular basis. And those are, that's the constant work that we have to do. This is not about flipping a switch. Okay, check the box. I've done it. This is, it's a practice. Swagger is a lifestyle that you need to work on and practice daily. Wow. That's all I have to say. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I remember when I was younger, I, you know, I was compensating, you know, I wanted attention. My, my father wasn't big on, you know, he's an immigrant. He doesn't sit there and hug me after every time I miss a baseball game or whatever, right. you know, uh, he was, he was tough and he said he was proud of me once and I burst into tears, you know? So I was always trying to get attention from my father. And so I went out into life and I, you know, I became a professional drummer. I became a graphic designer, you know, I did. And, and some of it becomes a habit, but I think what you said is incredibly power powerful because when we can analyze this and go into it and deeper, I realized when I did it for myself, instead of trying to get attention from dad, I found I could achieve greater things. It didn't mean that what I was doing changed. It's just that the way I resonated with it and the way I spoke was completely different. It wasn't to seek validation. It was, this is what it is. So how do you recommend that people start delving into themselves a little bit more? Well, that's part of uh, the beauty of Claim Your Swagger is because it's based on experiential learning. And that's just a fancy way of saying learning by doing. And we all learn best when we experience something, when we have a chance to analyze that experience 
and identify what was good about it, what was interesting about it, what stood out for me, then kind of rationalize the experience and say, okay, what learning can I really tease out of this? What are some nuggets or aha moments that I had that I can apply maybe to other parts of my life and then identify the areas or the places where we can apply the learning? And Claim Your Swagger takes you through activities and daily reinforcements in the book itself to get you started. Because you cannot simply read something and create change. You have to do something. Yeah. You're so right. And I want you to talk about one of the best exercises to just get started. But I want to I want to point this out. You said something in the in the book in the later chapters where someone's at that starting line and they take off and they're winning and they're winning and they just can't seem to get ahead. Yeah. Um, so uh, those of you who are listening, I want you to understand if you are still beating your head against the wall, you're, you're winning, but you're not really winning. You're in a cycle. This is the book for you. Uh, but let's talk about that. What is the most important piece to getting started? I think one of the most important pieces is deciding that you would like your life to be better or different than it is today. Now, that sounds incredibly simple, <laughs> yes. but until you make that decision, you won't take that first step. So the decision and the commitment, and in fact, there's a commitment statement in the book that you can use or create your own, but I encourage people to copy it, print it out, put it up all over your house where you're gonna see it all the time, you have to choose to make yourself a priority, which for many of us, we put ourselves on the bottom of the priority list. Very rarely are we near the top. Everybody else's needs come first, especially when it comes to personal growth and development. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we think of that as a nice to have instead of an essential. Right. And until you make that choice and you say, no, this is important. This is critical. I no longer want to just survive my life on a day-to-day -day basis. I would like to be thriving. So the very first step I think is making that choice. It's hard. I mean, and I think especially for women, um, this being the caretaker is in the, the genes almost. Yes. I have to serve everybody else. And I've seen it, you know, I grew up in a small town, Christian community, um, you know, serve everybody first, you know, and to actually stop that muscle memory and take care of yourself first can actually feel painful Yes, because you're fighting your programming, programming that came from your parents and your parents' parents and things like that. So I think this stepping into that commitment to yourself, to getting healthy, to working on yourself, to really dive deeper into why you even have limitations in your mind, right? I think is the hardest work you can do because what do you do when you get up at, let's say six, 7 a.m.? What do you do? Do you reach for the coffee pot first or do you do a little meditation? Do you write things down? Do you write your dreams down? Do you go for a jog? 
uh, do you light a cigarette? <laughs> I hate to right. say it. Some people do that. Yes, of course. Uh, um, but you know, you know, sometimes it can feel like, you know, I don't have time for this. I have to get to work. And I guess, I don't know if it's a Buddhist phrase. It said, if you're too busy to meditate, then you should meditate four hours. <laughs> uh, so I feel like, you know, that that's kind of what we're looking at here. Um, how do you get grounded? You know, you know, your acronyms here are beautifully laid out. Um, and we'll go over them again. SW, and this spells out swagger. For those of you who are following along at home, uh, SW is self-worth. A is appreciation for your strengths and limitations. G is for gratitude for how your life experiences have helped shape who you are. G, grounded in your core values. E, empowered to overcome your self-limiting beliefs. And R, renewed through a greater focus on your passion and your purpose. And this is something I'm going to ask you. I have a close friend I've probably known 50 years you know, since we were like six years old. And so he basically has never found a hobby. He's always working. And so he does, he has things he likes to do, but he doesn't quite know how to engage and step forward and find that passion, find that hobby, find that purpose. How do you recommend that people do that when they're just busy all the time? Well, we're always going to be busy. That is kind of a constant thing. And I think it's become a little bit, especially I find it a lot more in, I would say the US, some places across the globe have a better handle on this than I think the US does. But the US, yeah. it's become a badge of honor. The busier we are, the 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 better we are for yeah. some reason, right? So we will always be busy, but are we busy doing the right things? Are we busy doing the things that really help us not only be at our best, but perform at our best and live our best life? And so we need to be intentional and focused on what are those things we should be busy doing. Right. And that might require a shift. And one of the things you said earlier, Brad, about how it's really difficult to create a shift and change a behavior pattern, which is what we're asking people to do. And that's the beauty of Claim Your Swagger is it helps you better understand how your brain works so you could start to learn how to get your brain to work for you instead of against you. And that means reworking, rewiring, we're creating new neural pathways, we're creating new behavioral patterns, and that all takes time. So we have to be patient with ourselves. It doesn't happen overnight. We have to be willing to put the practice in. We're not good or great at anything unless we practice it a lot. And we have to persevere. You can only fail if you give up. Yeah. Got to put in those 10,000 hours as Andor's Erickson says. Uh, right. Yeah, that's rough. Um, for me, I've always learned that if I don't believe I can achieve something, I can't. If I don't believe it, I can't. It's a self-fulfilling so, prophecy. Exactly. So right. what do you recommend? People make a list of all the limitations they have and then try to flip them. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, that's a no, simple way. But... Actually, I think, I think it's more about giving yourself the freedom and flexibility to have more blue sky thinking. If anything was possible, what could you accomplish? What could you do? Take the limitations off the table first. Don't allow yourself to be mired in what you deem possible because of you're placing those barriers and those boundaries and those limitations on yourself. Instead, give yourself freedom and flexibility to say, okay, let me just, let me play a game with myself for a minute. And let me say, if anything, absolutely anything was possible, what could I do? What would I want to do? What would it look like? What would it feel like? How would it be? And you would be amazed at what comes out when you give yourself that freedom. And the beauty is your brain cannot tell the difference between a memory or a vision of the future. It stores the information in the same way. And the more crystal clear you get around something that you would like to achieve or want to achieve, the more likely you are to accomplish it. Wow. Mind blown. I know. Like that. But this uh, is the most amazing thing that I I just I can't. I loved this part when I came across this in the book uh, when I was doing the research. And Martin Seligman in his work, uh, Learned Optimism, he talked about we can choose the way we think. I mean, just just let that sink in for a second. It's we true. can choose the way we think. That means if we're not happy with where we are currently right now and our thoughts are getting in our own way and we're limiting ourselves or we have imposter syndrome or whatever it might be, we can change it because we can reframe our thoughts. We can reframe our memories. We can change the stories we've told ourselves about those memories. Wow. It's so true. You, you, another, you just mind blowing statement here. Um, my girlfriend and I, we do something called you tactics, which was, uh, created by, um, Robert Smith or upgraded by Robert Smith. And it's basically tapping out those memories that have created, um, you, you know, angramatic activity in your, or what we call it, engrams in your brain. It's, so you break up the trauma, break up the patterns. And when you open up the and these can be subtle things, very tiny little things, like the fact that you might not get up early in the morning. There might be a reason in your head, or you don't want to be rich or, or successful because that means you're a bad person, or whatever. These mm-hmm. tiny little things that give you a belly ache or your heart palpitations just by thinking about it. Those are pieces of those limitations. Um, I was laughing earlier because I had Marcus Ogden on uh last week. Uh, and he's an NFL football player, retired, went through hell and back several times um, with the mindset. And we were talking about this mindset thing. And there was a study done where they took uh, three basketball teams. One practiced their, their like crazy to win the championship. The second, they practiced a little bit, but they visualized. And then third group, they didn't practice. They just visualized. Well, the third group was the one that they couldn't believe how well they did. They did just as well as the group that practiced mm-hmm. and played. 
and they they were blown away by this and the group that played like crazy and didn't visualize they didn't do that well so our brains do not know the difference Mm -hmm. at all and Mm -hmm. so i do that's why i was laughing i was like oh man we're on a roll here (laughs) no it's such a powerful concept that once you get it it i i just get so excited about it because it's It's basically, you're saying to yourself, once you understand this concept, once you embrace it wholeheartedly, you literally can reach in your pocket and pull out the key to what's been blocking you your entire life because you have the power to do it. You just have to understand, go through some of the steps, learning how to redevelop that relationship with your self-worth, look at your strengths and limitations, really look back at, to your point, Brad, those past experiences that have created these memories for us and these beliefs that we hold to be true, even if they may not be true. Yeah. What you're really saying is you can be anything you want if you put your mind to it or change your mind to it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm a baby boomer. And I have to say, this was the big thing that boomers had to go through. Uh, My father was a doctor of chiropractic medicine, and he had a bachelor's in chemistry, smart guy. And he would lean in and look me right in the eye, even when I was like 10 years of age. And he'd go, Bradley, you can do anything you put your mind to. And I'm like, okay. And then the following week, I decided I'm going to build a stage in my bedroom uh, to put my drum set on. And he would find me and he'd go, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) So, So boomers literally have in their brain this stop-start mechanism. Um, And when the internet hit and everybody was becoming an influencer, a lot of boomers said, well, why why would I want a YouTube channel? Or why would I want to put my personal stuff online? Why would I do any of that? and, And I coached a lot of people through this. They just could not fathom why anybody would listen to them because plain and simply, they considered themselves a nobody in their own minds. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that in this day and age. You've got to step up to the plate. No, completely. I completely agree. And I find what's what's fascinating about what you said is there were some beliefs instilled in you at a young age. So basically what your dad was saying to you was you can be anything you want to be that I deem appropriate. Yes, you got right? it. Right. So where I consider that fits in this box. You know, if you go outside the box, then what the heck are you doing? You got it. You nailed yeah. it right there. It was because I was an artist. You know, my dad's a chemist and he likes mm-hmm. math as a He's hobby. He's a scientific mind. He's exactly. a logical mind and he doesn't yeah. understand how to relate to the artistic mind. Not at all. Yes. And the only reason he gave me my blessing was my senior year of high school in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. We had this art department, um, you know, art show for two weeks. People would get out of each class and they'd come and they'd take a tour and then they'd go back to class and parents were invited and everything. And when my parents finally wound up, they, they couldn't believe what I was working on. I had all these projects that I could never take home until the end of the year. Right. And that's when my uh, teacher, God bless him, Mr. David Opilo, he said to my parents, he goes, you know, Brad has some real talent here. He could make a living doing this. And from that moment on, it was like I had a Stepford dad <laughs> because, <laughs> because he drove me to 
every orientation for every college that I wanted to go to. And I was like, what the, where was this guy, you know, 10 years ago? But that's because the, your teacher said the magic words. Exactly. You can make a living doing this. That's right. And that's what resonated with your logical scientific father. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know about disc training DISC yes. or any of those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I use that a lot. And, uh, I find that the majority of people out there are falling to the S and the C category. And what those are is steadfast and contemplatives. And mm-hmm. if you, if those of you who are listening, don't know what that implies. It's basically think of a, a, a business that's all engineers. Engineers are definitely in the S category, steadfast. You have to logically convince them that they must change. Right. And if you don't make your case or your argument properly, it's not um, going to happen. You're screwed. Right. So, yeah, and they happening. like to read. So they want everything. They have to read it. If you do a PowerPoint presentation with a beautiful video, that ain't going to convince them. Okay. And then the C's are hopeless. Contemplatives, they're like monks. They will read and think about it and then read some more and then maybe watch a video and then go off and do something else. So those are the the people I think that fight this the most, would you say? Not necessarily. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of exploration work in here, meaning they get a chance to read and they can do this at their own pace. They can do the activities at their own pace. They can take time to stop and reflect. I've had multiple people who have reached out to me after reading Claim Your Swagger and said, some people said I had to read it all the way through first. And then I wanted to go back and do some of the activities. Some said I needed to do it sequentially. And I had to stop myself, especially when I really needed to do some work in one of the chapters. I got kind of stuck in one of the chapters because I needed to really do some more reflective work and spend the time before I could move forward. And the beauty of the way this is written is it meets people where they are. So it doesn't matter who you are. You take it, you digest it, you use it the way that it's most helpful for you. I love that. I love this about your work uh, because, you know, everybody has their way of learning. That's right. And everybody has their way of what is you know, inspiring them, igniting their fire. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, a great, great way to do this. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about some of the executives you helped? Because sure. I noticed on your LinkedIn pro- profile, you help executives and leaders move from this, you know, just uh, striving to, to get ahead to thriving. Right. Um, let's talk about that. And you're working internationally. So, you know, you're right. dealing with uh, social norms in other countries, things like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of stories that I like to share. And I do pull out some stories from some of the leaders I've engaged with in Claim Your Swagger because, and I'm so grateful to the leaders that I've had the opportunity to engage with over the years because they provide me, I do experiential learning basically every day. Everything that I engage with becomes a learning opportunity for me and potentially a story that I get to use, an example that I get to use down the road. And there was one in particular, uh, an individual 
I, I don't remember the name I used in the book. I always change everybody's names to protect the innocent, so to speak. Yep. But there was an individual and I was in Malaysia at this time. And we were doing a leadership program for a large group of uh, senior leaders at a pharma company, a pharmaceutical company. And this individual came up to me in the middle of the cocktail hour, which, by the way, was outside in an incredibly humid environment. And I don't understand why people think that is a really fun, great idea. I'm a fan of air conditioning. I know a lot of people aren't, but I am. And I'm sure I looked like I was trying not to be melting as this individual <laughs> came up to me during the cocktail hour. And he, he asked this question. He said, you know, I've always seen myself and I've always driven to be number one in everything that I did. But I now run a plant that is much smaller than everybody else's plants in the company. So how can I be number one? So you can imagine how this concept for him impacted his self-worth because wow. how he saw himself was, if I'm not number one, then who am I? So I shared with him, I said, you need to be able to tap into and use what you're really good at and what, you, what mm -hmm. you're extraordinary at and be number one somewhere else. Find your number one somewhere else. Be number one in attracting and retaining talent. Be number one in building careers. Be number one in customer satisfaction. Be number one in employee satisfaction. Be number one in the culture you create in the organization. His, his eyes just was like lit up and went, oh my goodness. Because now he had so many steps that he yeah. could take, right? And it wasn't limited to, I have to be the number one plant. Yeah. And this can be hard on boomers because um, I, I wrote the book on generational differences, liquid leadership. And one of the things that I have to explain to my baby boomer brethren, um, it is hard to now be in your 60s and you are not the boss, right? Your, your boss, your manager is actually 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 years younger than you. right? And you can feel like a failure in this because the paradigm that we grew up with was based on age. If you're 40, you were supposed to be making 40 grand a year and you were right. supposed <laughs> to have a quarter office. When you're 50, you were supposed to be making 50 grand a year and you were supposed to be in the executive suite somewhere. That ain't happening. That paradigm's over. So I love how you framed that. Do you have any other examples? Because I think leadership today is being challenged by the people yes. at the bottom because they are given a voice now. They are more in charge of productivity. Um, people are doing smart work on the front lines instead of rote work. And so right. leaders have to be better at every single level. No, they do. And, and leadership has continued to evolve. So what, and I know I've heard this on some of your podcast episodes in the past, what worked for you before and what got you here is not necessarily going to help you get to the next level. And I remember being in a workshop in India and these were um, predominantly male audience. Yep. And here I am a female facilitator. Okay. Right. So there's a dynamic already and I'm I, a Western, you know, I'm, I'm yep. a Western female. So I'm from the U S and here I am supposed to be quote unquote, educating them, quote unquote, teaching them. 
and I had people literally just getting up, going for their tea whenever they felt like it, doing their thing whenever they wanted to. And the client uh, said to me during one of the breaks, they said, feel free to push back. And I said, okay, you just gave me the green light. Watch <laughs> out world, because here I come. So I knew from doing my research on the culture that the things that were really important, that really resonated with this audience was getting promoted, getting to the next level and getting the raise. And so after we came back from break, I said to the room, look, you can do whatever you like to do here today. It's completely up to you. I've got to be here regardless, but it doesn't matter to me whether you're in the room or not. However, if you are interested in getting the next promotion, if you are interested in moving up in the organization, if you're interested in getting the next race, then you will be here. Because what I'm offering you, we were focused on influencing people, which are skill sets that are vitally important that yeah. you can't read in a book. You can't just, it's got to be learned and practiced. There are skill sets that have to be developed. And that's what we were focused on. And I said, because you're not going to get to the next level without what I'm providing. Nice. I had every single person in that room and in the palm of my hand for the rest of the workshop. Wow. It's, it's a simple phrase like that. It's really, really simple. Connecting it to something that mattered to them. And so as leaders, what I think is really important is not only how well do we know ourselves, because one of the biggest things that I think we forget is first and foremost, we are leaders of our own lives. And that means leadership starts with self. Before we can be effective leaders of others, we first have to be an effective leader of ourselves. And that requires doing the work, knowing who you are, knowing what makes you tick, knowing how you're perceived by other people, knowing what your hot buttons are, what drives you absolutely crazy, what sets you off, understanding all these things about yourself, and the better we get at that, the more inclined we are to then seek to understand who we're leading. Mm -hmm. And when we can understand what's important to them, when we can pay attention to what matters to them, we can create environments where they can tap mm -hmm. into what motivates them, where we can see their potential and create in and provide opportunities for them to actually do new things that challenge them and push them outside their comfort zones. Wow. That was beautifully said. Once again, mind blown. <laughs> uh, I, I do find it interesting when you have to give speeches um, with different cultures and mm -hmm. you really, you handled it like a champion. I'll tell you that the most difficult speech I think I ever had to give uh, I was invited into Midtown Manhattan at Reuters and there was a sponsored, uh, they sponsored this business plan competition amongst high school students. Mm -hmm. So these are mostly inner city uh, schools, uh, kids who wanted to be in business and mostly uh, black and Latino. And so I get up on stage, I'm thinking, how am I going to help these kids like manifest their dream, get where they want to be, you know, things like this. And like you, I thought about it and I go, what was important to them? 
And so I got up on stage and the first thing I did was I said, how many of you want to be a famous rap star who's making millions, blah, blah, blah. People put their hand up. How many of you want to be an executive doing this? People put their hand up. How many of you want to be an entrepreneur? And I went around the room and I got a discussion going. And I said, if you listen to me for this hour, I will show you the secrets that, and then I listed off people I knew they would really resonate with. You can achieve these dreams. And I just went through, you know, basic stuff that, you know, we learn when we, when we learn to visualize, and mm-hmm. manifest, things like that. So um, I, I take my it. hat off to you because that, that had to be tough because you're in a culture in India where they still see women as sort of second-class citizens. Yes. I, I think the, the thing that worked in my favor was that I was from the U.S. That <clears throat> made a difference. I wasn't, yes. it would have been a completely different dynamic had I been from their same culture. I agree with you on that. Different dynamic. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And Um, the other piece of that, though, is how I carry myself. Yeah. And how I set myself up in the room. And it's because I owned my swagger that I could do what I did and that I got the result that I did. Wait a minute. That ties back into your book. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think uh, this is very powerful to see when women step up and become CEOs and leaders and things like this. Mm-hmm. But I have had uh, women on the show who are trying to empower young girls who are yeah. in the STEM, you know, a- yeah. arenas. And for some strange reason, when they get to college, they make that left turn into marketing. <laughs> and I can't figure out why. We, we've we all been banging our heads against it. Sorry to go off topic, but I was curious. No, I think it's a great topic. And, and I mean, obviously, I'm not in their heads and I haven't I haven't interviewed them. So I don't know where it's coming from. But I have some ideas, some hypotheses, if you will. Sure, please share. Around... Some could be cultural because of how, if you look at right now, the marketing industry has a lot of females in it versus the scientific industry as a whole has much more male dominated. It has been for a long time. It is it a cultural dynamic that has been ingrained in people where they get so far into it and then go, do I really want to do this? This looks like much more fun or this feels more comfortable because of the environment and culture I'm going to be in. It could be, it could also be that they're actually getting to a certain point where they have to do certain things and go, wait a minute, if I'm really asking myself what I love and what I'm passionate about, could I get up every day and do this? Is this driving me? Am I just completely enthralled with doing this research or this scientific aspect that I can't wait to wake up tomorrow and do it. If the answer is no, then you should take a turn. Yeah. Wow. So I'm not sure which one it is, or maybe it's a combination of both. I like that you answered that because uh, I've had show after show with, I had the founder of Nerdy Girls Success on the show and she was just like, I don't know why they do it. <laughs> so I'm glad you you answered that because- we are entering into the age of, of women running things. You know, it's just a yes. natural part of it. And now we're going into countries and zones and places where they're not comfortable with that sometimes. And so, 
you know, it takes, um, to use a Yiddish word, chutzpah, uh, to really stand up in the front of a room and tell people, hey, you either like it this way or you don't. Um, and you did it. And I love that. I applaud that. That's <laughs> great. It's like, oh, yeah, I can smoke a cigar, too, you know. <laughs> uh, so um, I wanted to ask you this. Um, what have been the most difficult uh problems that you might have had with some leaders uh, in these organizations? One of the interesting dynamics that I found, and I came across this, and I, I just found this fascinating. I came across it. It didn't matter the level of leadership, and it didn't matter the culture or the country I was in. This was a common theme across leaders, no matter where I was. There's some strange thing that takes place the moment someone becomes a leader. All of a sudden, they feel like they're supposed to have all the answers. And if they don't, they're somehow not a good leader. Huh. Wow. It was the most fascinating thing in trying to get people to wrap their heads around first recognizing that it happens and two understanding nobody nobody's expecting them to have all the answers and it's okay to say you know what that's a great question that i don't have the answer to but i'm <laughs> going to get back to you on that or i'm going to go find somebody to help you you know answer that question it was the most mind-boggling thing that i ever came across it was fascinating that's funny I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I um, I took my pu company public back in the 90s and I became a C-level executive right away. And I was the opposite of everybody else because I had MIT programmers in my office and I had, you know, art students who graduated with honors from Pratt who were building websites. And so I could not fake it. I couldn't stand yeah. up there and go, I knew it all. And my favorite thing to do was to go into the room with these guys when they were talking about technology. I said, hey, talk to me, explain this to me as if I'm six years old. Right. And they would explain, and they they would like light up. I couldn't believe it. They would light up trying to explain it to me. And then about an hour into it, I'd say, you know, we were with the media have moved on. We we're doing other things. And I would say, so let's see, could we take this technology and deliver it this way? They would literally spin around and go, oh, my God, you know this technology. And it's like, because you explained it to me like I, did, I, I didn't understand anything. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. um, how do you break that in people? You know, this I have to know it all. <laughs> well, it, there were a, there's a lot of work involved, but part of it is truly knowing, getting to know yourself, recognizing who you are, understanding your strengths and limitations, being secure in who you are. And surrounding yourself, as you mentioned, Brad, with amazing people that are better at what they do than you could ever be. And you're perfectly comfortable with that. Yeah. When you get to that level, you realize, you start to recognize that every, every person on the team has a role to play. The janitor in the organization has a role to play in helping that company be successful. No person's role is more important than the other person's role. We all have a part to play. So right. what is my part and how do I do it really well? 
And so really getting grounded, uh, a big part of it that I found that supported leaders and helped them was getting leaders to tap into and understand more about themselves and who they are and then how do they want to lead. Because the more secure you are in yourself, the more confident a leader you can be. Now, my horses have taught me tons. These are my kids behind me that you see. My, you're my, kidding. Oh, they're no, so these cute. Are my three horses. And they're my children. They have four legs. Yes, I know, but they are amazing. And one of the things they've taught me is how to be the calm and confident leader. And that's what people want, especially yeah. when times are chaotic. They want to look to you as the leader and you want to sit there and say, it's okay. I'll tell you when to worry. And now's not the time. We've got this. Nice. We can do this. I love but it. To do that, you've got to be secure in yourself. And that means you have to know who you are. Claim your swagger. <laughs> exactly. And so, you could even say, claim your leadership swagger. Claim your leadership swagger. By the way, you're writing two more in this uh, series. I know. I, you know, I did that to myself on purpose because if I wrote <laughs> it in the book, that means I have to make it happen. <laughs> I know. My first book was Liquid Leadership, and I got to tell you, it was like birthing. I because I it was is, not like a, giving birth for sure. <laughs> I was not a writer before that, and I'm sitting there going, I, "I've done a hundred essays. That's what it felt like for college." Yes. Uh, and all the research and flying back and forth and interviewing people. Oh my Lord. Um, but I take my hat off to you for, for making the commitment yes. and take your time with it. Um, well, you can't, I mean, this is the foundation claim your swagger is the foundation. The next one is going to be develop your swagger. And the third one's going to be live with swagger. I have something for you that you can add to your videos. And if you're doing audio of your book and that is, uh, have you ever seen the video of uh, do your best Jagger? No, there are two guys. They decided uh, that at any time, any day, whenever, if they turned around and said, Hey, do your best Jagger, right. they had to do a Mick Jagger right. dance. Right. And so I'm thinking you could do, do your best swagger. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like, Strut down the and get videos of that. That would be a lot of well, fun. Well, and it's funny because if you look at this, this boutonniere that I'm wearing. So one of the things, uh, this is, I, I met the woman who makes these. It's called My Boutonniere and uh, myboutonniere.com. And she, her story is amazing. And I just fell in love with these. And for me, this is part of my signature swagger style. Nice. And it's a, it's a visual reminder when I put it on to wear my swagger, to embody my swagger. So it's that constant visual reminder for me that I own it and I have to embody it in all that I do. I agree. Um, uh... When I go to meetings or I go dress up, I never dress like everybody else. I don't wear the three-piece suit. I usually have a black shirt on, you know, nice collar, mm -hmm. uh, charcoal gray sport coat, and, and a very unusual handkerchief sticking out of the pocket. But I always have some cool sunglasses right. um, that I walk in the room with. You know, I have a steampunk John Lennon glasses I wear sometimes. And those are a lot of fun. So you got to claim it, baby. You got to well, claim it. And, and it's funny that you say that though, because when you think about, I define swagger obviously as the acronym, but the way that I describe it 
is we've probably all seen that person who walks in the room and literally lights up the room. Yeah. And there's something about them. They're not necessarily the most attractive person you've ever seen. It's not about that. It's not about the outward appearance so much as it is the energy they give off. There's an inner self-confidence and a, a self-assuredness that they have. They're comfortable in their own skin and they know who they are. And you, if the waiter were passing by, you'd kind of tap them on the shoulder and go, like when Harry met Sally, can can I have whatever they're having? Because I want some of that, please. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> yeah, yes. I'll have what she's having. And that's what I mean by swagger. Because when you when you own it, when you embody it, you become that person that literally lights up the room. I agree with you. When you do the work, you'll light up a room. Yeah, uh, right. The rapper most Def said it best. He says, my presence speaks volumes mm -hmm. before I say a word. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Okay. How do we get a hold of you? Where should we go? What website? Where do we go? Swagger, the letter U, which is short for Swagger University. So it's swaggeru.com. They can, you can find me there. You can contact me there. You can even take a swagger quiz to kind of see where the, the state of your swagger today. And there are multiple uh, options for them, uh, depending on how you answer the questions. They can also find me on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, multiple places on social media, uh, but swaggeru.com. And I have a retreat coming up in March in Montana. Wow. Triple Creek Ranch. It's a Relay and Chateau property. They don't pay any extra for the retreat. Nice. And the experience is going to be unlike anything you've ever seen before, because I'm taking personal development and personal growth out of the conference room and into true experiential learning. So whether you're horseback riding or dog sledding or doing yoga or meditation, or you will have opportunities to learn from those experiences directly. It's a build your own adventure personalized to every person attending. And even if you're at dinner, you might even get an activity, something like there are four pieces of chocolate in front of you and you have to identify which animal that milk came from, from those chocolate <laughs> bars or the chocolate pieces. And that is awakening your awareness in this case through taste, but then you'll be presented with additional thoughts and questions to say, how about awareness in the rest of your life? How often are we just moving from one thing to the next and yeah. too busy to pay attention to what's going on around us or inside of us? So March 7th through the 10th, Triple Creek Ranch. How do we sign up for that? Where do we go? You can go find the retreat on my website and that link will take you directly to Triple Creek Ranch or you can go to triplecreekranch.com, look up events and you'll find my event there. Woohoo! That sounds exciting. A lot of fun. Sounds like a lot of fun. I would love the, the chocolate tasting part. My dad was, was a chocolate chemist before he became a chiropractor. And, I love uh, that. So he would, once a month, he would buy giant chocolate bars, sit them on the kitchen table and break off one chunk, taste it, write down the ingredients. I'm like, oh my God, amazing. I had the best chocolate in my house. We never had Hershey, even though we were like, uh, you know, we were only like 15 miles away from Hershey Park. So that was funny. Yeah. Amazing. So, so I want to thank you for being on the show. We're going to move into the lightning round. This is a very exciting moment. Are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, what's your favorite memory? 
I would say one of my favorite memories, I, I can't say it's my ultimate favorite. I have way too many favorite memories, but one of my favorite memories, let's put it that way, is when I developed the relationship with my horses that I had always dreamed about. I came out of the womb loving horses. And my parents, my father was in the Air Force, so we moved every two to four years. And they would tell me, I hope your husband helps you choose a nice one because you're not getting one. <laughs> and so I didn't get horses of my own until later in life. But I had always dreamed of having this very almost spiritual connection with them and that they're my true partners and and my, in this case, dance partners, I call them because we do dressage. But <laughs> Now that I'm there, I I just, it is better than anything I ever dreamed about in my entire life. And it is one of my favorite memories. That's phenomenal. I love that. Uh, my second question is, what is your why? So my why, my purpose is to ignite people's swagger so that they can transform them, transform themselves and the world around them. So I have developed that and I had to refine it. I didn't get to that point until I actually wrote this book. Awesome. Now you lost your sister way too early, Janine. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you wish you had said to her before she passed? Yes, I wish I could have. I wish I would have had the knowledge I have now, the expertise I have now to have been able to share with her that she didn't have to do things for other people. I wish I would have been able to help her figure out how to make herself happy, to help her see that she was extraordinary and amazing just the way she was, that she didn't have to be more, she didn't have to be different. And I, I mean, she did not commit, people have always asked me, because I don't say this in the book in Claim Your Swagger, but she didn't commit suicide, but she did leave us too early. And I just wonder if she would have been here today had I been able to help her see things and see her world differently. Well, that's a powerful, powerful driver, you know, to try and reach at least one person who might be in the same position. Yes. Um, God bless. Thank you. Jennifer Morazic Sukalo. Is that how you say it? Am I getting it right? Yes. <laughs> say it. <laughs> Come on. Jennifer Morozek Sukalo. Sukalo. It sounds Italian. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> it's I thought Ukrainian, you were Hungarian, actually. <laughs> I thought, you know, I was going to say, are you Hungarian? Because the Morozek. Uh, that's Polish. So yeah. That's my maiden name. So And, and we, share a, we share a border, the, the yes. Pol Polish-Hungarian. So I've met people who have a Hungarian last name, but they're from Poland. Oh. Like uh, I had a buddy named Dudash um, and I was like, that's Hungarian. He goes, no, it's Polish. And I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, you know, the borders moved back and forth. Yes, they, they 50 moved miles a lot. Yeah. So <laughs> good. Thank you. Uh, reach out, go to swaggeru.com, pick up her book, claim your swagger. It is extraordinary. I've just touched on some of what's in there. It was a very powerful book. I'm glad you wrote it um, because we're living in a day and age where people have to step up and change a little bit. And these are the tools that are out there. And I really, I'm incredibly honored that you've been on the show today. And uh, we have to give a big shout out and thank you to, De to Denise Griffiths 
uh, for hooking us up. And when the other two books come out, please let me know. I want to have you back on. So I will, thank you. I will. And thank you so much for, I, I'm honored to have been on your show. I love your work. I think you're doing amazing work and keep doing you. it because you're thank a bright you. light in the world. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody, tune in next week once again, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week.